I was talking online today about this lie of voter fraud from the 2020 election. And I had a person say, well, it needs to be proven that it wasn't fraudulent, you know, before we'll be okay. And he said that in different terms, but I'm summarizing. And so I'm, I'm asking, I haven't heard back from you yet. I'm asking like, what would make you believe it's true that there was no voter fraud? You know, if, if, Hundreds of court cases, many in front of Trump appointed judges, um, the most partisan attorney general we've ever had in our country in Bill Barr, or perhaps in my lifetime, the most partisan attorney general says there was no widespread voter fraud. A Republican head of Homeland Security said it was the most secure election in American history. Newsmax had to admit this week that they lied and, and aired proof of voter fraud for which they had no evidence at all. And they had to retract all of their reporting or else face bankruptcy and a court loss. What is it that would make you believe the truth of the fact that there is no widespread voter fraud from the 2020 election? Like what exactly would it be? And here's the reason it matters is because the Bible says whatsoever is true, whatsoever is lovely, pure, whatever is excellent, think on those things. In fact, that's a verse from Philippians, Philippians 4, I believe it is. I want to look that up and read that verse because I think it's really important. Truth matters to God. Philippians 4 says this, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Whatsoever is true. Why doesn't truth matter to Christians when the Bible tells us that we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free? And that Jesus said his mission on earth was to take people out of bondage. Let's talk about that today. How do you know what is true in a time in history where it seems like there's so little understanding of what is truth? For those willing to listen, learn, and have eyes to see and ears to hear, this is the Nonpartisan Evangelical where we're challenging the mindset of right-wing Christianity and encouraging people to have their minds renewed and hearts transformed. Let's have better conversations about the life modeled in the Bible so we can truly tell the world God is not mad at you. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. Before I go on, let me invite you to join me on YouTube. I, used to, I would do a live Bible talk at 9 a.m. Pacific, and then my wife and I would do a 1030 live. I just had some people that were like, man, I would just love to hear you teach from the Bible and not be interrupted by the comments from people, even though they love the live interaction. And so we've decided I'm recording my Bible talk from now on. 9 a.m. Pacific every Saturday, we'll debut and premiere the Bible talk. And this week, it's really good. I want you to go see it. It's on the Pastor Paul YouTube channel, and it is about hell. I've had a lot of people ask me about my theology of hell, and I've sort of been in a place of like, 
yeah, I'm not totally sure what my theology is on hell. I'll get back to you on that. So I've been looking into it some. I've been getting a feel for what I think I, I and and so I did a full Bible talk this week on my view of hell and the idea of hell as a place of eternal damnation and torment. The Pastor Paul YouTube channel, some of you are already on there watching on YouTube, but go see every Saturday morning Pastor Paul's Bible talk where I just teach from the Bible. I'm not the best theologian in the world. I don't claim to be a great theologian, but I think I have a gift for taking what we read on the pages of the Bible or on our, our devices and am able to say, here's what that looks like in our language today and what it means to us in our lives today. So subscribe to my YouTube channel, follow my TikTok, and you guys really help grow this. So this week, Newsmax, which is now one of the new favorite right-wing media outlets for our right-wing fans. And as I said on my TikTok video yesterday, because, because Fox has gone all liberal on us, um, Newsmax had to admit this week that they had reported falsehoods. Uh, they were sued by an employee of the Dominion Voting System Company, uh, who they had reported and had numerous Trump-affiliated guests on that had said this man had fixed votes in the 2020 election. And so this man is suing all of those outlets and the attorneys and Newsmax. And Newsmax was able to get themselves dropped from this potentially bankrupting lawsuit by making an announcement this week. And the announcement was that they had found no evidence of voter fraud in the 2020 election, of, of voter fraud that could have changed the outcome of the election, and no evidence of what they had been reporting about this gentleman uh, fixing votes. And they had to do that. And not only did they say that, but they also were compelled to say in their announcement that in all the states that were close in the election, there has been no evidence found of voter fraud that changed the outcome of the election. Newsmax has said this. Bill Barr, perhaps the most partisan and I believe dishonest attorney general in my lifetime, he said there was no widespread voter fraud. Trump attorney Sidney Powell, in a filing with the court, said no reasonable person would have believed she was sharing facts when she was talking about voter fraud. Every Republican state official in the state of Georgia involved in elections said the election was true and right on. And this week, there was a story that came out, I believe it was in the Washington Post, and a woman had this quote. She said, Donald Trump hasn't been wrong on anything that he said. And therefore, I'm going to believe Donald Trump over what I hear from other media. <laughs> I mean, did you hear what I just said? 
he's been true in everything that he said, despite the fact that he lied about Stormy Daniels and using election funds to pay her. He lied about his phone call to the Ukraine. He lied about the fact that the coronavirus uh, wasn't a threat. He lied about the fact that he said the coronavirus was going to go away by a miracle. He lied about hydroxychloroquine being uh, a an antidote for the coronavirus. And when he himself was sick, he was never given hydroxychloroquine for the coronavirus. Yet this woman said he hasn't been wrong in anything that he said. And so I trust only him. And when I really break it down with people, I'm like, who can tell you that there was no voter fraud that you would believe it? And they won't admit it. I can never get it to get them to say it out of their mouth. But the truth is, Only Trump can tell them differently. And with some of those folks, I hate to tell you this, this is a little bit scary, but they wouldn't even believe that. They would say, oh, that's that's Trump just playing to something or that's Trump being forced to do something or that. They wouldn't even believe Trump saying that because we are very far gone from caring about truth. So why? Why are conservative Christians so easily swayed from truth to conspiracy theories. Sorry, I'm washing my glasses. I just realized how dirty they were in front of my eyes. Why would Christians be so open to believing untruths and being a type of people that would say, oh, there's, there's but one man who can tell me something different? And I, I really have been pondering that recently, and I've come to this conclusion In the Christian church, we've been groomed for this. You know what grooming means, like a sexual predator will groom their mark. They'll they'll do things. It's, It's not, you don't throw the frog into the boiling pot, right? They'll jump out of the boiling pot. But if you put the frog into the cool water and then turn the heat up, the frog will never realize that the water temperature is changing around it and it will boil to its death. And I think that's what's happened in the church. We've been groomed to believe falsehoods and outlandish things. And and so I did a TikTok video this week. I would love for you to go watch. I would love for you to go see it because I sort of portrayed the idea of me as a kid. I'm sorry, I I wrote this in my newsletter blog this week. And I used to ask as a kid, wait a second, how could a man survive inside a big fish? The Bible doesn't say it's a whale. It says it's a big fish. How could a man survive in a big fish underwater for three days? If it didn't, if that man wasn't killed by the acid of the fish's digestive system, how would he have breathed? And I've heard stories of like, oh, men, but I've never been able to find one that I can really believe is true. But when I would ask that question, you know, my Sunday school teacher would say, oh, it's a miracle from God. When I would ask, you say Jesus said marriage is between one man and one woman, but you know who didn't agree with that? I asked this as a kid, by the way, this is kind of how my mind works. I'm like, Marriage is between one man and one woman. Well, King David didn't agree with that. Abraham didn't agree with that. Jacob didn't agree with that. And they're like the big dudes of the Bible. 
And and maybe Jesus didn't even agree because he he didn't even get married. And the answer was always like, you know, ah, yeah. Contradictions in the Bible, you know, sometimes we can't explain things, but God knows. We don't need to know. We just need to understand what we feel in our hearts. And then there was the end times teaching. Left behind the books, which, by the way, were some of the worst written books I've ever read that sold a zillion copies. I remember picking it up the first time and started reading. I'm like, this is an awful book. Who wrote this crap? Um, but I remember as a kid being so scared of being left behind. And there was a book that came out in, you know, 1983, I think. And I may not have these years right now, but it was like 83 reasons Jesus is coming in 1983. And then there was 88 reasons Jesus is coming in 19, or maybe it was 73 reasons he's coming in 73, 78 reasons he's coming in 77 or 78. All of these things, Y2K. That was the end. Here it comes now. I remember as a kid being convinced of these revelation in times thoughts because there was this, apparently some reference to the new Roman Empire with 10 crowns, which means there would be 10 countries that would come together to rebuild the Roman Empire. And the EU started and they had 10 countries. And you're like, see, the Bible called it. There are 10 countries in the EU, and therefore the new Roman Empire is coming. Well, today there are 27 European countries in the European Union, or maybe 26 now, now with Brexit. I'm not sure, but something. There's more than 20 countries in the EU. And you say, well, does that mean it wasn't true? Don't, don't, don't ask those questions. Don't think, you know, God knows. God knows. You don't need to understand God's ways are higher than your ways. The Soviet Union and China were Gog and Magog of revelations, and they were going to march any day against Israel. And it seems so plausible when I was a kid. Of course, China and the Soviet Union, they're both communist countries. They're both ruled by the devil. Of course, they'll come together and march against Israel. And then the Soviet Union fell. And, and I remember thinking, this can't be true. There's no way the Soviet Union can fall because they're run by the devil and they're going to they're going to attack Israel with China. And how do we know the USA is going to be in this? It'd be good because right in the middle of the spelling of Jerusalem, J-E-R-U-S-A, we were told all of this bullshit again and again and again and again when I was a kid. And if I ever said, wait, this the Bible says this, and then it says this. That doesn't match up. Oh, you don't, you don't need to understand. You just know that God's ways are higher than our ways. How, how, did, how did somebody exist in the belly of a whale? It was a miracle. God can do anything. And even recently, I asked a friend of mine, you know, the virgin birth is only in two of the Gospels, and it's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Jesus never mentioned it. It's not mentioned anywhere in any other writings until the Apostles' Creed. How do we know that's true? Well, well it has to be true. It has, it has to be true. 
it has to be true because we have to defend the narrative more than want to know truth. And whenever a group of people get to a place where we want our narrative to be right, more than we want to seek what Philippians tells us to seek, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is pure, whatever has excellence, think on those things. And we've become a people who are like, no, we have to defend the narrative. We have to defend the inerrancy of the Bible above all else, because the Bible has become more important to us than Jesus or our relationship with God. Because if the Bible doesn't say exactly what we say that it says, our story breaks down. And if our story breaks down, we lose all because we don't have any ability to adapt and grow and evolve. We have to have our story to be true. So if we're believing this end time stuff and somebody says, here comes Trump, he's Cyrus, we have to believe it because it's the mindset of our community. We've been groomed to believe things that are unbelievable. Now, I believe the Bible is a really amazing document. I think it is inspired by some otherworldly wisdom. I think it's an amazing book, but, I, but I'm honest about what I'm reading. I'm honest that even the choice of what books go into the Protestant Bible and which ones were left out were decisions made by men. And that when Paul was writing Corinthians, he was writing a letter to a certain group of people in a certain town, in a certain culture, answering specific questions for certain situations. He wasn't saying, okay, I need to write a theological tome for all of history. And certainly my Christian friends who have told me, if it's in the Bible, Jesus said it. And I'm like, no, what you're saying, Jesus didn't say Paul wrote that, not Jesus. Well, if it's in the Bible, Jesus said it. No, that's not true. We have to be honest about what we're reading. And if we read it from an honest perspective and an open heart and a Romans 12, 2 mind that's being constantly transformed, we can wrestle together over the reality and truth of what we're reading. But if we have to defend the narrative, then it's not such a big leap to say, oh, Christians have to take over the American government just like the Pharisees believed Israel needed to take over the Roman government in their country. And if Trump is the guy that can do that for us, and he'll tell us what we want to hear, and he'll support our narrative, I'm in. Rather than saying whatever is true, lovely, and excellent, I'm going to think on those things. No, I've got to defend my narrative more than I want to know truth. And that is the curse of the evangelical church in America. And Jesus said of that mindset, principality or spirit, the Bible called it as well, it brings blindness on people and that they no longer have eyes to see or ears to hear or hearts to understand God's purpose in a season. We've been groomed to believe the unbelievable. So when somebody tells us, hey, there's this guy Q, and he's telling us about this worldwide pedophile ring, and, you know, yeah, Bill Clinton couldn't hide an affair in, in the Oval Office, 
but this group can hide a worldwide pedophile ring that is being led by a dead JFK Jr., along with Donald Trump, this not very bright man. <laughs> and the military, that five-star general Dwight D. Eisenhower warned us to beware of, is now the only pure part of our government. And they are working with this guy, Trump, to overturn pedophiles that include a dead John McCain, who is apparently in prison in Guantanamo. We believe this stuff. We've lost our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our ability to understand. And it's terrible and it's sad and it's dangerous for the message of the gospel, because it's driving people away from the message of the gospel and the message of the church. And it's an existential threat to the security of our country. And you say, well, come on, don't get dramatic now, Paul. Let me ask you this. Let's, let's take all the ideological stuff off of it. If you knew there was a minority party that had some clout in a country, And that minority party had already displayed there were no boundaries of what they would do to hold power, even though more people supported the other party than them. They were going to do whatever they could to rig any system to be in power. Believe any lie, propagate any lie. And that group of people only believe truth when it came from the mouth of one man, one egotistical, narcissistic, unempathetic human being, would you say, boy, that's, that's scary. That's, we've seen that in other countries in history with really bad dictators and horrible people. You would. And that's what we're seeing in this season. And that's why our, our desire to protect our narrative rather than seek truth, the grooming to believe the unbelievable, the bigger, the better, has made us in this place where we struggle to know truth as Christians in America anymore. The Bible says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. The spirit of God will guide you into all truth. But how do we miss truth? Well, one is if, if, we, if, if we're believing a narrative rather than searching for truth, then the Bible says our heart gets hardened to truth. In the book of Hebrews, it says, don't let your heart be hardened like your father's in the desert. And a hardened heart, I believe today, if we were writing the Bible today, we would say, don't get stuck in your mindset. Don't get stuck in your echo chamber or your bubble of your life, but be willing to look outside and hear things that disagree so you can know the truth and let the truth set you free. But we've hardened our hearts to this idea that our narrative has to be right. I see that question about my church. I'll, I'll answer that in just a little bit. And again, any questions you have on TikTok can go in the question box at the bottom of the screen, and I'll be done here in just a few minutes. And when we start to protect our narrative rather than 
fight for truth. We can be manipulated. And the Republican Party has been doing it for years. Paul Weyrich was the guy who, along with Jerry Falwell Sr., said, hey, we can use abortion as an issue to move masses of Christian voters to vote against Jimmy Carter. You guys may have heard me tell this before. And the moral majority was born and things begin to crop up like focus on the family that begin to use white Eurocentric narratives of of the, um, oh gosh, I can't even think of what the term is now, the family, the, the traditional family. The traditional family was, that was a trope used again and again to say the traditional family. When nowhere in the Bible is there a traditional family of husband, wife, two kids, and a picket fence. That was a European creation, not a Middle Eastern biblical creation. Jesus never lived in a traditional family ever in his life. In fact, he probably never would have seen the traditional family that evangelicals talk about in his entire life. Yet we make it we make it a litmus test of Christianity. Do you believe in the, in the traditional family? And we have to curse the Black Lives Matter because they don't believe in the traditional family. Let me tell you something. In other cultures, inside our American borders, there are, there are people that believe a family is generations and neighbors taking care of each other in communal tribalism. And that means your children are my children. And if you die, I'm taking care of your kids as if they're my own. And grandma and grandpa are going to live in the house forever. And their wisdom is going to be enjoyed and valued and loved. And we would say, well, that's not the traditional family. That a man would leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. Because we misinterpret the Bible to promote our own narrative rather than search for the truth. Um, Jesus said of the leaven of the Pharisees, beware it because it will take away your eyes to see and your ears to hear. The Pharisees had a political religious narrative that they believed in and were looking for a Messiah that would back up their narrative. And when Jesus, this Messiah appeared and he didn't back up that narrative, they killed him. Paul wrote to the Galatians, and he says, my God, who has vexed you? Who made you believe this thing that's not true? Who, who have you been listening to? Paul was like, stop watching Fox News and listening to Newsmax and, and watching OAN and reading Epic Times. Who's vexed you? The book of Hebrews says, don't go back to that old belief system. It was never right in the first place. Thank you, Food DJT. Were you the one asking about where I preach? I want to get to that question. I don't serve at a brick and mortar church anymore because I kind of don't believe in it anymore. Um, but we do Sunday morning spiritual gatherings at 10 a.m. And I'll tell you more about that later. Go to my YouTube channel, Pastor Paul YouTube channel, TikTok. This is where I'm ministering to people. God, I love the questions coming in. I'll get to them in just a second. Let me finish, to the, finish with this. 
So how do we know? How do we fight for truth? Well, one is for sure. Think about Philippians 4 saying, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is lovely, excellent, think on these things. And so when you watch Fox News or OAN, or I mean, think about it. Are they really fighting for truth? Am I going to, to media outlets that are trying to tell me truth or are they supporting my narrative? And that, and that could be MSNBC too. Think about, am I ever seeing news that disagrees with my narrative? And if I'm reading something that disagrees with my narrative, first I can evaluate, do I think this is coming from a place of searching for truth or are they coming from a place of trying to convince me to their narrative? So my second point, because this is going to go to my second point, and I'm going to jump into that and I'm going to keep working back. Don't give in to false equivalency. So what I see a lot happening today are these false equivalencies that try to get people to stop challenging the narrative of the evangelical right-wing church. I hear it a lot. Paul, you're bringing disunity into the body. We should be unified. Stop speaking in a way that, that is disunifying, because Jesus said, I want you all to be unified. Jesus didn't have political bents. He was just out there preaching the gospel. Well, that's not true if you read the Bible. And so then I'll ask him, like, when Jesus said, hey, guys, you know what? Your father's the devil. Was he being disunified, not humble enough? Let's not get stuck in false equivalencies. Well, Paul, if you're criticizing the right, you need to criticize the left too. Well, no, that's not exactly true because A, I'm going to speak to my own people. That's who God has asked me to speak to. B, I don't see the left saying what they're doing is in the name of God. And while, yes, I, what I see the left doing is partisan, there's no question about that, and sometimes way too so, and I'm not saying they're perfect over there, but I don't see it as an intentional misleading. What we see on the right with right-wing news is intentionally propagandized information to manipulate their audience, for profit mostly. but it's manipulating people and causing them to lose their eyes to see. So let's not get into this false equivalency of like, every time I say something about Newsmax, I have to say something about MSNBC because that's not how Jesus operated. He said, hey, you religious leaders who are propagating this system that's putting bondage on people, I'm against you. He didn't say, I'm going to say something bad about you, and I'm going to say something bad about the worship of the Samaritans as well, because it's important that I be fair and live in these false equivalencies. Let's not. And so people are going to criticize us for that. And I'm not saying be closed down to hearing other information, but I'm saying false equivalencies are a wonderful tool to try to get people to shut their mouths when they speak against the status quo and the narrative of the evangelical church.
Third thing is let people see what it looks like to stand for truth in confidence. Don't be a victim in standing for truth. We can ask people like, where did you come to this conclusion of this ridiculously idiotic thing you're saying? But show people what it looks like and know that there are going to be some people that hate you for it. And I'm learning to do this a little bit better, to be honest. But I want people to see like, no, what you're saying is not okay. And sometimes I do it in a way that's entertaining so that the message can get out. That's kind of what has to be done. But be willing to say, hey, what you're saying is not true. Hey, what you're propagating about fraud in the 2020 election is dangerous to the democracy of America. And while I don't worship the democracy of America, I love the justice it could bring if our heart was ever fully poised to want to see that happen. And then lastly, I say, love people no matter what. If you're struggling with what do I do with the Bible? What do I do with this verse that seems to say this person is evil? Just say, you know what? I'm going to choose to love. Yeah. Thank you. Before I ask these questions, can I ask a favor from you guys? To, just something to consider. Um, one of the things I feel like uh, I, I heard from heaven in my spirit as, as I, you know, I, what I do on TikTok and social media and sharing all this, I truly believe is a calling of my life, um, is a purpose and a passion of my life. And one of the things I feel like God has challenged me to do, and you can determine if this is me or God or something else, and it could be some combination of the two, and I'm totally uh, with that. But um, when I started, I planted a church in 2008 here in Fresno, California, I felt like one of the one of the wisdom things that I heard from heaven is you're not going to have to be dependent on the Sunday morning offering plate. Well, that never was a truth in the 10 years I was a senior pastor. We were terrified that not enough money was going to come into the offering plate every single Sunday morning. And um, and it and it has an impact on you as a leader when you see the fear in your controller's eyes and your staff's eyes of, are we going to be able to cover rent and payroll and all of that stuff? So I'm doing Pastor Paul now. I'm ministering to people on TikTok and social media and YouTube. And, and I do coaching as well. And I'm trying to figure out how to earn a living doing this as God has asked me to do it. And one of the ways I do that is I don't pass an offering plate, but I offer subscriptions to content that's outside of what we do in the public realm. And I do that through my nonpartisan evangelical Patreon page. Thank you. Why not? Yatal, is that right? Um, and so would you guys consider joining? It's just uh, the first level in is $5.99 a month. You get, uh, oh, where's my book? One of, the th one of the special things you get for just $5.99 a, a month is access to the audiobook version of my novel, Joseph Comes to Town, and a private Facebook group. 
And if you go to $12.99 a month, I'll send you an autographed copy of my book as well. So would you consider it? You can go to my website, pastor-paul.com. That'll take you to the podcast site. There's a Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner, or you can go to patreon.com slash NPE podcast, nonpartisan evangelical podcast, which is the podcast that I do, patreon.com slash NPE podcast. If you're on TikTok, you can just click the link in my bio and it'll take you, it'll have a link tree that can take you there. So thank you, Irma Boo says you're going to join. Thank you. And that's how you can help me financially. I'm not asking you to give thousands and thousands of dollars a month or even big one-time gifts. Just subscribe and, and let's learn and walk this journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of our faith together. So again, patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash N-P-E podcast. And if you're on TikTok, go to my bio and you can get it right in there. Or um, on YouTube, you can just go patreon.com slash NPE podcast. Okay, what questions do you have for me? I would love to answer some questions here in our last few minutes. So somebody asked, do you work at a physical church? If so, where? No, I pastored uh, as a sort of assistant for maybe 15 years or so in a church and then planted Uh, went through my pastoral training with the Vineyard Association of Churches, planted a physical church in 2008. We started in a high school here in Fresno, then moved into a a building we rented for the next eight years. And then I stepped out on January 1st, 2019 for a whole lot of reasons and, and, and all of them good in my estimation. And, and more and more have realized um, what, what I built wasn't what was in my heart. And in fact, I think the way the American church mindset works now, once you get inside a building, it draws you to norms that aren't what God is doing in the season. So when people ask me, would you recommend a church that's in a building? I'm not against the churches that are in buildings. And I know many of them are doing really good things, but you won't get a recommendation from me to go to a church in a building. Because I tried to build a church that was focused on impacting the world positively rather than impacting those of us inside that building. And people say, well, you need the faith community. Well, I just don't see churches inside a building doing faith community well. Yes, we get together for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever, on a Sunday morning. Yes, maybe we have small groups. And yes, maybe good things happen and all of that. But I still don't think it's community well done, like we see the Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 45, church. And when the building itself is pulling you toward a norm that's not from heaven, that's man-created, but not from heaven, then that has to come to an end, I believe, by reading the Bible. So what I do, and this sort of, what I wanted to do was just do this and minister to people who, who came to me directly, and I do coaching. If, you, if you've ever thought about having life coaching, it's the best pastoring I've ever done in my life. Send me a DM and I'll tell you about it. There is a cost to it because I do have to make a living, but send me a DM and I'll tell you about it because it really excites me. I've seen people's lives absolutely transformed by it. And that's the pastoring that I'm called to do in this season. All right. What other questions do we have? 
Would you consider the Duggar family Christian? Well, that's a hard question because we have to define what Christian is. So Christian meaning is their soul connected to God and they're going to be in heaven for eternity as defined by the American Evangelical Church? Well, yes, I, am, I would say I don't have a right to judge that. But are their actions like Christ, which is the actual meaning of the word Christian? So I believe what we have in evangelicalism now is instead of acting like Christ, we follow the model of what we've seen in evangelicalism. So there is some morals to it. There is some morality. There is some goodness to it. So I, I'm not going to judge everything that they are, but this sort of, oh, we're so holy as a family because we follow Jesus, I don't think is actually Christ-like. So it depends on what your definition of Christian is. And when you then enable an environment where one of your kids can rape others of your kids, there's nothing Christ-like in that at all. And the fact that they sort of, as I understand the story, and, and there may be more to it, but I've seen this in other Christian circles where, we, where we're going to internally handle the sexual abuse. And so we cover it up and we actually enable the abuser to abuse more. There's nothing Christian about it. There's nothing Christ-like about that at all. It's not even following the truth of the Bible. It's not even following your own scripture. So I think there's a massive amount of hypocrisy in modern day Christianity. And when I read the Bible, the two things that upset God more than anything aren't abortion and gay marriage. They are hypocrisy and not taking care of justice for everyone not taking care of justice for the poor, the foreigner, the marginalized, the outcast. So are the Duggars Christian by evangelical American measures? Who can judge? Not me. By the measures of the Jesus I read about in the New Testament and the Gospels? Not even close. I don't know. Hope that answers your question. Why does God allow children to suffer needlessly? Boy, that's the question of eternity, isn't it? So my answer to that would be, I don't believe God allows children to suffer. I believe God has, by whatever process it looks like, control of culture is ours. And we are to fight for justice for those children, rightness. So I think there's two, two ways to look at this. Um, you know, does God allow children to suffer? You have to sort of define what allowing children to suffer look like. I don't believe God brings bad things onto people. Nor do, do I, I believe that God's going to fix it. I think the world is in the hands of those of us. And I, you know, I, so it's a, it's a really big existential question. I believe we are eternal beings that have always been eternal beings that have come into these finite time enclosed pictures, if you will. 
And it's our job to walk as eternal beings inside of this finiteness to change things. So the question may be, why does maybe change to why does God allow children to suffer mercilessly or needlessly to more like, why aren't we fixing that? And the other part of the equation is I believe life goes on beyond like death is just a transition to another phase of life. It's not like this, there's this hard line we're done. And all of eternity is then laying out in front of us. I, I just think there's something of this process that goes on. And I, I've preached whole sermons on that and I'm probably not going to do that now, but hopefully that, that answers your question a little bit. Sharon says old saying children suffer for the sins of their parents. And we, we do see that some. Yeah. All right. I love your comments that you guys are sharing with each other and with me. Um, how do we know that everything in the Bible is true? Um, again, <laughs> I, I hate to keep doing this with every question, but okay, we have to define what true means. Um, does the story of Jonah mean there was a man that was actually inside a big fish for three days? Um, and, and if that turns out to be sort of an allegorical story, does then that make it not true? Um, I think, I think the Bible was, was written for its purposes. Like, like I would say this, I wonder why this is all kind of muddy. Do I have a filter on there? No, no filter. TikTok looks kind of foggy for some reason to me. Um, I believe the Bible was written by human beings for specific purposes. They, they were inspired as maybe sometimes I'm inspired to write a blog from something I hear from heaven. Um, but, but the idea of like Holy Spirit was holding the hand of the writers and guiding them for everything they wrote, that we have everything that was written. We know for sure we've lost some of the text that was written. So we know for sure we don't have everything. So true then becomes what does it what does it mean to us as we're reading it ported from what what it was meant to be when it was written in the first place so like one of the ways i would say it is i i believe if we believe the apostle paul wrote all the books he's purported to have written and i'm willing to stipulate that for this conversation except he did not write hebrews i'm absolutely convinced of that um i believe when paul wrote romans what we now have is the book of romans in the bible that was meant to be a theological tome it is written in a way that says i'm going to wrestle with some of the really hard concepts of our religious beliefs and make some theological statements about that. And so we can read those and say, okay, I see what he's writing. Let's figure out kind of what it meant and how we port that to what we believe today. I believe when Paul wrote books like Corinthians, he wasn't doing that same thing. He was writing letters to a group of people that he had some authority over that were sending him questions. They were communicating questions about things going on. And he responded to particular situations in a particular city with a particular culture for a particular moment. And so you can't take Corinthians and say, this is for all of us for all time. 
you have to say that was written for the people of Corinth. And there may be some wisdom we can pull from that. But when he's saying women be silent in the church, that's not a theological construct for all of history. That's Paul having a conversation with a group of people that we're eavesdropping into. That doesn't mean it's worthless and let's throw it out. It means it's not the same as what we see displayed in the life of Jesus. So the problem is Paul has become the authoritative voice in the evangelical church, or at least our interpretation of what Paul wrote. And Jesus has become secondary. But Jesus was the one that said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you watch me, you will see the character of God. You can live out of that character. So what we see in the life of Jesus should be way more important to us than what we read in Corinthians or Philippians or Galatians, things that Paul wrote to particular people for particular times to answer particular questions. He wrote to Timothy, he wrote to Titus to, to help them deal with particular things. In none of it did he say, hey, and this is what should be known for all of history in the church. James in Acts 15 said, hey, okay, we're going to allow non-Jews to be Christian, but let's make sure that they follow these Jewish rules. And he gave four Jewish rules, but nothing in the Bible says what James said is a rule for all of history, for every Christian, for all of eternity. Hermie Boo says, this is helpful. I've been majorly struggling with how to read scripture while I challenge my beliefs. This is my advice. Read about Jesus and say, what is being displayed of the character of God here? And how do I incorporate that character of God into my life? And be careful not to take a single verse and make it into a theological construct. That's what the evangelical church has done with so many verses. Say, wait, what's the whole of what, what Jesus was talking about? Like hell, which is something that's not clear in the Bible at all, that an evangelical will tell you, well, it's clear, but it's not clear. It's very arguable. By the way, if you weren't with me earlier, my Bible talk that I recorded that we premiered on my YouTube channel at 9 a.m. this morning is, a, I think, a fantastic description of my belief in hell. And if you've been struggling with like, well, what is hell? What should I believe about hell? Go check it out. Pastor Paul YouTube channel. My Bible talk, which we release on YouTube every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. Go check it out. So if you're struggling, like, well, what do I believe about hell now? I, I think I, I've been wrestling with that for a long, long time. And I think I've, I've come to some decent conclusions for where I am today. I may not be there in five years from now, but it's where I am today. And it, and it gives freedom to people to love each other. Hey, where did my questions go? Oh, there they are. Okay. Should we go vegan and let the lion lay with the lamb? I, I truly don't believe that veganism is a, is a command from the Bible. The lion laying with the lamb is, is a metaphorical um, version of a whole and peaceful world that is to come, which I believe, by the way, when we bring it to that, um, I don't think it's a, it's a command to, to go vegan. Now, I think there's a lot of reasons to go vegan that are legitimate, but they're not necessarily like, I'm going to go vegan and everybody else who's not vegan is evil. Um, 
I think there's a lot of things we should be concerned about in food making industry. Um, but again, I don't think the Bible, by talking about lying, laying down with the lamb, is is anything we can apply to what we should eat. I believe we should live a healthy life and eat healthy. I think that is a command from the Bible to take care of us. Um, are you hopeful about the future? Uh, yes and no. Um, I believe that we're in for some rough times ahead. Um, just, just from very practically, what I talked about is my theme today of people that have been groomed to believe non-truth over truth, people that have been groomed to defend their narrative rather than pursue truth. I think that's what happens when cultures collapse and crumble. So I think we have some hard days ahead and some really divisive times. Uh, thank you, Kimberly, for saying hi, and, and you have a good rest of your day. Um, but I'm hopeful because I've seen that happen through the Bible and through history so many times. And I know that if I want to put it in God terms, that's God's judgment on a bad system. And he says that bad system has to come to end and something new come. And so I think we are seeing sort of the collapse of the church as we've known it. And while some are lamenting that, I think that's actually God's purpose in the season. And by collapse, we're not going to see it collapse in a day because these mega churches are not just going to go away. But I think in the generation, the, the evangelical church as we know it will have very little impact on our culture in the next two generations. Yeah. So that gives me hope. If God is taking us to something new, and that's what I'm trying to do, what is the new that we're going to rather than uh, this old shame-based, I think, misrepresentation of who God is and what the Bible says? Question, did you study theology in school? So I went through the, uh, the pastoral leadership training of the Vineyard Association of Churches. That was my theological training. Uh, you can see the certificates back on the wall of my ordination and my theological training. I don't claim in any way to be a great theologian, but I do think I have a gift for interpreting the Bible into modern culture and modern, modern times. So hopefully that will help you um, listen to what I have to say, but everything I say, you get to say, hmm, I wonder if Paul is right or full of it. And I want you to have those thoughts and think it through. Thank you for the comments coming in on TikTok and YouTube. You guys are so awesome. I love this. Um, why do people become priests or pastors without accepting everyone? You know, I told you about my book earlier. Let me give it another plug. Joseph comes to town when the religious right becomes religiously wrong. It's my novel that is uh, my imagination of what Jesus would say to the evangelical church if he was here in the flesh today. Um, I think pastors and priests do that because they believe they're supposed to. One, one thing a, a farmer told me once, and, and I've, I've had responses from other farmers of this of varying degrees, but I think it's a really cool concept. I asked once, why don't chickens fly when they have wings? And he told me, oh, there are chickens all over the world that fly. American chickens don't fly, A, because they're too fat, and B, because they look around them and they don't see any other chickens flying. And so they live in a mindset of, oh, we don't fly because we're chickens. 
And occasionally there will be a chicken that will learn, wait, I got wings and I can fly. And then the farmers have to clip one of those wings so that they, if they fly, they fly in a circle. So why do pastors and priests do what they do and being divisive and, and harsh on people? It's because they've been in the chicken coop of evangelicalism or Catholicism all of their training in life, and they don't know any other way to live. And when somebody like me goes, hey, there may be something different. They want to clip my wing, so I won't be able to do it. Which is a big part of why I had to leave being inside the church in the walls. Have you tried Cafe Church, a very cool reinvent? I don't know, Rebecca, what is Cafe Church? Is it just like church in a coffee shop? What we do is we have a Sunday community online where we share in the Christian tradition of communion together. And to me, communion is not like for Christians only. And if you haven't professed faith in Christ, you can't take communion. Communion is about connect, communing our spirits together and collectively communing our corporate spirit with heaven. So we do that at 10 a.m. on Sundays. Um, and you can join me right online. If you're on TikTok, go to my bio and there's a link tree link in there and it'll link you to the Zoom link or you can watch it on TikTok or YouTube. And if you're on YouTube, you can go to my website, um, pastor-paul.com and check out the events contact page and it has the Zoom link to join us. This is a great analogy, says Batman, the one about the chickens. Yeah. So yeah, in my book, in, in the Joseph Comes to Town book, I talk about sort of the right-wing evangelical partisan Republican leader, he finally realizes that he believes what he believes because it's what he's always seen modeled for him with every other pastoral leader he's known. And when confronted with the untruth of that and the, the hopelessness of it, he realizes, oh my gosh, I've got to change. I've got to change. Is my book on Amazon? Yes, it is. Um, Amazon, Joseph comes to town. You can get it there. Thank you for asking, by the way. Or you can go to my website, pastor-paul.com, which will take you to my podcast site. And there's a Joseph the Novel link. You can get it there. Or you can join my Patreon community. And uh, I can, uh, I'll send you an autograph copy if you join at the $12.99 subscription level. And if you join at the lowest level, $5.99, you get it on audiobook, an audiobook series. And it's the only place you can get the audiobook version if you like audiobooks. So yeah, you can, there's all those ways you can pick it up. And uh, I say with all humility, it's really, really good. I think it really, I was worried like after the election that its relevance was going to go away. And I'm, I'm now like, oh, it's even more relevant now. I'm thinking about putting together sort of a discussion guide around it. You just bought it. Thank you, Pam, for buying my book. I appreciate that. Um, I'm thinking of putting together a discussion guide and maybe having sort of a series of discussion groups built around the discussion guide. I think that would really be fun. Joy Kinzer said, did you read it? It's your voice. Yes, I did read it. I, I recorded my own voice too. And I have one more segment I'm going to try to record this week. And then we'll have the full book on audio on my Patreon page. Katie Keene says she has it too. Gosh, I, I would love to hear your thoughts, guys. If you want to DM me, I would love to hear what your experience was with the book. Um, I really want people to read it because I think it's an important story. 
It's about the transformation of one of those pastors um, and how he realizes, oh my gosh, I've been believing a lie for all this time. Hey, thank you, hippie clergy, for the gift. All right, any other questions? Love to have you guys join us tomorrow morning in our Sunday community. Uh, in, in TikTok, go to my bio and click on the link there. Comment on saved by word of God or name Jesus Christ. Tell me a little bit more about what you're asking there, Batman. I've got just a few more minutes. Um, or you can go to pastor-paul.com, the events contact page. It has the link to join us in the Sunday community tomorrow. Sharon says, I'm going to get the audio book. Awesome, Sharon. Thank you for all your comments on YouTube today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the encouragement. The Patreon again is, here, let me, let me see if I can type it in. How about that? Patreon.com slash NPE pod. Oops. My thumb is too big for my phone podcast. There it is. Uh, there it is on TikTok. You can also go to my bio and get the um, get the link tree in my bio, and it'll have it as well. Uh, let's see if I can. How do I put it in here on YouTube? How do I comment on YouTube? Maybe if I do this. Ah, there it is. So let me type it in for you guys on YouTube. Sorry, this is boring theater right now. I know. Patreon.com slash NPE podcast. All right, there you go. Name JC is Wooden Peg in Secure Place. Sarah says she bought the book on Kindle. Awesome. Thank you. Batman, I'm not sure I understand. JC is wooden peg in secure place. Yeah, and I'm going to have to run. I'm sorry. Send me a DM, Batman, and I will answer. I'm sorry. I don't quite understand what you're asking. So we'll deal with that. Sunday morning, don't forget. Also, if you haven't watched my Bible talk yet, subscribe to my Pastor Paul YouTube channel. And every Saturday morning, I release my Bible talk at 9 a.m. And it's about hell this week. And it's really, really good. I love it. Um, and I have an idea. Oh, gosh, I had an idea of what I'm going to talk about next week. Next week, I'm going to talk about the book of Hebrews and how it says this system of sin and redemption and killing of the lamb sacrifice, how it was never God's intent. And so it's not a good intent for us today. So that'll be next week on, on uh, Pastor Paul's Bible Talk on the Pastor Paul YouTube channel. You guys are awesome. Keep going. 10 a.m. Pacific is the Sunday community gathering. Thanks for joining me. Love being with you guys and so appreciate you taking time to hang out with me. So we'll see you guys again very, very, very soon. Mm -hmm.